morning. Such a privilege for me to be able to preach in this pulpit this morning. Um, as we speak, Matt is in Camden, Alabama, preaching as well. So that is, it's a cool feeling um, thinking about that. Today our text is Esther 4. If you would turn in your Bible, um, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can grab the Pew Bible in front of you. The page number is listed in the bulletin there for you. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that Pew Bible, to be your Bible. Um, let that be our gift to you today. If you would, out of reverence for the reading of God's Word, if, as you are able, please stand with me. We believe that as we read this scripture, that just as God originally spoke to the authors of scripture, he is speaking to us now. Esther 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth. But he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction. That he, for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also, sorry, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants... And the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, 
I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your scriptures. Thank you for revealing your word and speaking to us um, in such a way that is relevant to us now and in our days of need. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the hope that we have. Please, Lord, be with me in my preaching this morning. I pray, Lord, that your words would stand and that everything else, um, everything else that is not your truth, that that would fall away. And Lord, we pray that you would be with our pastor, Matt, and Camden this morning as well, and speak through him. Lord, be present today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Be seated. In his book, Loving God, Chuck Colson tells a story, which I would like to relate to you today. This story is about a man named Boris Kornfeld. Now, we don't know much about Boris, but this we do know. He was a Russian physician living in Stalinist Russia. Um, Boris was himself a communist. But his perspective soon changed. Boris was taken to a gulag, a Russian concentration camp, for a political crime. What this crime was, we don't know, but even the slightest criticism of Stalin could have landed you in the gulag. After a few brutal years in the gulag, Boris' communist zeal was crushed. And this zeal was replaced by a seething hatred for his captors. Like all the rest of the prisoners, Boris did what he had to for survival. In his case, doctors received somewhat better treatment than the rest of the prisoners because of their utility. Doctors served to care for an endless stream of patients, often hopeless cases. And doctors were used to sign off on papers stating that prisoners were healthy enough to face punishments and tortures, frequently a lie. This Boris did without hesitation for his own survival. Then Boris came into contact with a fellow prisoner who called himself a Christian. We don't know this man's name, but he began to share the gospel with Boris, telling him about a Messiah named Jesus Christ. Boris listened to this man's words, and he heard the man recite the Lord's Prayer many times. Slowly the gospel began to have an impact on Boris, and Boris became terrified of the hatred that filled him. And he began to pray the Lord's Prayer over and over. The hatred inside him drifted away, and Boris was filled with something else, a sense of freedom and joy. He was a changed man. He was a saved man. Boris stopped doing what he had done before. He now refused to sign off on tortures and punishments. And on top of this, he turned in an orderly for stealing food from a patient, something the orderlies always did. The orderly was sent off to three days of solitary confinement. In doing this, Boris had signed his death warrant, and he knew it. Knowing his time was short, he wanted to share with someone the transformation that had happened in his life. One day, Boris was examining a patient 
who was suffering from cancer of the intestines. The man was in agony and showed a deep misery. To this man, Boris began to share what had happened to him. Boris shared and couldn't stop sharing. Due to the anesthesia, the patient drifted in and out of consciousness. But in his wakeful hours, he was taken by Boris' zeal and fervency. Boris shared through all the afternoon and all into the evening of how he had become a Christian. Christian. The patient listened as intently as he could until when night came, sleep overcame him. The next morning, this patient awoke to a commotion in the nearby operating room. He didn't know what was happening until a patient shared with him the fate of Boris Kornfeld. During the night, as Boris slept, the orderly, now out of solitary confinement, had crept into the room and ferociously attacked Kornfeld with a hammer. Despite the efforts of other doctors, Boris' life could not be saved. Because of Boris's witness, this patient gave his life to Christ. His name was Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He survived the gulag, and he took up writing and speaking, sharing his faith and this story. Solzhenitsyn went on to receive the Nobel Prize for Literature and to be one of the most influential writers of the 20th century. Let me tell you something today. God has a plan for you. He can use you right here, right now, to have a great impact for the kingdom. Your witness for Christ could shake the very foundation of a person's life and lead them to Jesus Christ. God could use your witness even as a key step in bringing revival to our country. I hope this morning that through the study of this incredible story of Esther, that we'll come away understanding that just as God had a plan for Esther, just as she was, where she was, I hope that we can grasp too this morning that God has a plan for us, just as we are, just where we are. And we can have a full confidence in God's plans because we know that whatever God plans, He will accomplish. Now ultimately, as Esther was faced with a decision, would she act? So too we are faced with a decision. Will we act upon God's call? Or will we back down? So this is my first point this morning. God has a plan for us just as we are where we are. Do you realize that God has a plan for you just as you are where you are? It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or a woman, a bank teller, a dentist, a father or a daughter. All the same, God has a plan for you. If you're a Christian, you're first of all a child of God. God might be calling you to witness to your next door neighbor, to love and share with an unsaved family member, or to stand your ground in a hostile work environment. To such a task, we can often feel inadequate. Thoughts run through our minds such as, if only I were smarter. If only I didn't feel so afraid. If only I were older. If only I were more articulate. 
We wonder if God really knows who we are. Because if he did, surely he would find somebody that was better suited for the task. But God chose the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame the strong. Look at Esther. Esther was a woman in ancient society and a Jewess among an exiled Jewish people. She wasn't born into nobility or into a well-to-do family. In fact, Esther was an orphan. Her parents had died when she was young. It was an especially difficult time to be a Jew. Esther's ancestors were among the Jews taken from Jerusalem as captives by King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, a century earlier. Then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians and the Medes. The Jews lived under one conqueror and then another. So here's Esther and her people. Jews exiled from their homeland, living in the land of the conqueror, their beliefs, customs, and language belong to a conquered people. And despite all these things, above all the other women in the provinces, Esther, this orphan Jewess, is chosen to be queen. An exiled Jew had likely not held such a prestigious place since Daniel. I can't imagine the pressure, though, that came with this position. This formerly unknown Jewess, living under the care and guidance of her cousin Mordecai, now lived under the many expectations, rules, and responsibilities of a queen. We see that she had power. At her command are young women and eunuchs. Interesting also, also though, it seems that her position was restricting in several ways. Let's look at the opening scene. Mordecai learns of the decree to destroy the Jews. In chapter 3, we're told that it gives instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month. Mordecai tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, and openly laments in the city. And throughout the provinces, Jews who hear the decree likewise lament. Now Mordecai in sackcloth goes to the king's gate, where no one wearing sackcloth is allowed to enter. Open lamentation is itself attention-grabbing and risky for a Jew in Susa, this Persian city. But to do so in sackcloth before the king's gate is much more risky. And I think this is just what Mordecai intended. Esther's young women and eunuchs see this sight. They see Mordecai mourning at the king's gates, and they go to tell Esther. When Esther hears, she's deeply distressed and sends garments to Mordecai to change out of his sackcloth. Esther's distress could stem from a couple of things, as anyone would be. She's distressed to see a loved one so troubled. And secondly, she fears for Mordecai as he is breaking the law with his sackcloth at the king's gate. Mordecai refuses the garments. And then Esther does something surprising. She asks Hathach to go learn from Mordecai why this is and why it was. Esther does not know about the decree. Most every Jew in the provinces knows of it, but she, the queen, does not. And even more surprising, 
Mordecai seems to have anticipated this. He not only explains the decree to Hathach, but he brought a copy of the decree with him. He tells Hathach to show it to her to explain and to command her to go plead before the king on behalf of the Jews. Now it seems apparent that he knew that Esther needed to be filled in, because why else would he bring a copy of the decree? I think if I were in Mordecai's place, I would think the opposite. After all, she's the queen. I would imagine that her position would make her privy to information long before most, certainly long before Jews. But we see that her position is fairly restricting if she's not aware of royal decrees, especially of an impending genocide. But also, Esther seems to have allowed the rules and expectations and pressures of her position to restrict her even further. When she hears Mordecai's reply to her question, she responds like this. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. So perhaps she did not know of this decree that most of the Jews knew about, but she knows what all the king's servants and what all the peoples of the provinces know, that she couldn't do what Mordecai is asking her to do, is breaking the law. Esther is very conscious of the laws and the rules of the palace, because in light of, of her predecessor's fate, she knows that these laws are to be taken very seriously. And on top of this, Esther has not been called to see the king in 30 days. Whatever the case may be, it didn't seem like a favorable time to go see the king. Maybe she wasn't on his mind right now, or maybe he'd grown a little tired of her. We don't know, but Vashti, the former queen, she had not come when she was called, and so she fell from grace. So Esther was not going to make the same kind of mistake and come to the king when she was not invited. How often have we responded to God in this way? I can't go around talking about these things at work. It's against work policy. I can't tell my dad about, you know, the gospel like this. He's not going to take that from me. I can't talk to this friend about my faith or I risk losing my friendship. We all know how to keep the rules of the workplace. We all know the cultural expectations. We all know how to keep the status quo. We can get so caught up in the pressure and the rules and the expectations that we forget who we are first and foremost. If we call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, we are first and foremost Christians. So we're so worried about pleasing others when we should be looking to please our Heavenly Father. This is what happened with Esther. She forgot that she was first a Jew. Her vision was narrowly focused on her own limitations, on the laws of the king, and on her own station. As a Jew, she didn't remember, she wasn't remembering who God was. He who had providentially made her queen. She was forgetting God's promises. She forgot that, and this is my second point, whatever God plans, he will accomplish. As Esther could look back on her own life, 
she would see that when she was orphaned, God provided her with Mordecai, who cared for her well. She could see how God took her, a Jewess, and made her a queen to perhaps the most powerful man in the world at that time. She could look back and see that God had a plan for her life, and that not even insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable circumstances could stop God from fulfilling this plan. But more importantly, Esther could look back on Israel's history with God. She could look back on God's promises to his people, that he, how he promised to bless them and to watch over them, how he promised to not let them die out. Mordecai saw this. This decree threatened the near extinction of the Jews. Mordecai trusted that God would not allow this to happen to his people. He trusted that God had a plan for Israel. And it was with this confidence that Mordecai responded to Esther. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Implicit in this statement is faith in God's sovereignty and God's power. Mordecai knows that God has a plan, and he knows that God is going to see this plan through. This should serve as a great comfort to us. God's plans aren't contingent upon anything or anyone. In other words, nothing could stop God's plans from happening. When God calls us to action, it's not our fight that we're fighting, it's His fight. And God doesn't lose a fight. It's really an extraordinary gift that we as Christians have, that we can know without a doubt that we are on the winning side. So even when things feel stacked against us, even when we feel so small in the face of great challenges, we can trust that if God is inviting us to act, we can act with confidence, knowing that God will accomplish whatever He plans. And this brings me to my third point. God invites us into His plans, calling us to act, but He lets us decide what we will do. I'll say that one more time. God invites us into His plans, calling us to act, but He lets us decide what we will do. God invites us to be a part of His plans, but He leaves the decision to us. We can choose to follow His leading, or we can not. God will respect that choice, and He will leave us to the consequences of that choice. This we must keep in mind. If we trust that God is sovereign and He has a plan for us, for His people, for His creation, then we know that God's plan is greater than our plan. More than anything, I think that when we're, when we're afraid, we're paralyzed in action because we fear what might happen. And I don't think God faults us for being afraid. But what is wrong is when we let that fear keep us from following God. Now we might come back and say, but God will accomplish whatever He plans, right? So God doesn't need me. Frequently when we're faced with a decision to act or not act, we treat our choice as inconsequential. I could choose to share the gospel with this coworker. But even if I don't, God will find someone else to evangelize this person. My action doesn't really matter. But our choices are not inconsequential. 
In Esther's case, Mordecai warns her that her inaction will not serve her. She is afraid of the king's law. She fears for her life. Mordecai reminds her that she too is a Jew. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Esther could have responded, see, relief and deliverance will rise from another place. So why does God need me? I'm not the one to do this. God can go find someone else. It reminds me of the story of Moses. When God called Moses to go speak on his behalf to the Israelites. And Moses' response, you've got the wrong guy. God, could you send somebody else? God's response to Moses was first anger. But then he demonstrated to Moses his power. He did this to illustrate the fact that he could send whomever he wished. Mordecai warned Esther that if she remained silent, she and her household would perish. Her inaction would be remembered. The Jews would presume that Esther was just like the ones who sent out the decree. For if she was a Jew... Surely she would have tried to stop this. But more importantly, Mordecai doesn't just direct Esther's attention to the consequences of inaction. He causes her to reflect on God's plan for her. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai is posing a rhetorical question. It's as if he's saying, Esther, do you really think that God brought you here for no reason? Do you not see God in this? That you, a Jew, would be made queen in such a time of crisis? That you would be in a position to save the Jews like no other Jew in the provinces? Could God have brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this? And this takes effect on Esther. She knows that this is all God's orchestration. And she decides to act on God's call for her. She asks Mordecai to gather all the Jews in Susa to fast and pray for three days on her behalf. And so she will do the same with her young women. Mordecai has no reply, and he does as she asks. I'm sure it was a very difficult moment. A very sobering moment. Esther's statement, if I perish, I perish, is a powerful one. She faced down her fear, and she is resolved to go knowing that death may await her. But they both felt convicted that this was the right thing to do. They trusted that God had a plan. Do you see your own actions as inconsequential? Maybe you trust that God has a plan and that he wants you to be a part of it. But you doubt that your own part is of much significance. Let me tell you this today. Every part in God's plan is grand. Perhaps God has a plan for you like he did Boris Kornfeld. Because truly, anytime you are encountered with a lost soul, God calls you to an action of infinite importance. For the salvation of any man and of any woman is of eternal consequence. 
knowing that whatever God plans he will accomplish, let that embolden you to share your faith. Let that embolden you to act upon God's calling for your life. For when God calls you to proclaim his name to a lost world, you're fighting his fight, not yours. In the end, the decision is yours. Will you act upon God's call, or will you remain silent? As I conclude this morning with prayer, I want to offer an invitation. First of all, you might be an unbeliever um, who does not yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps God brought you among us for such a time as this to encounter Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This altar is open for you. Perhaps you're a believer and you're struggling to believe and trust in God's plan for you. You're struggling that, that your part is significant. This altar is open. And finally, maybe you're looking for a church home. And if this is the case, we would love to talk to you. After this prayer, uh, we ask that you would come forward. I'm going to end in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you can use a person such as Esther, that you can use a person such as Boris Kornfeld, that we can see your sovereign hand, and, and that, Lord, we can trust that, that you're going to accomplish whatever you plan. Lord, and we, we know that you're with us. We know that, that you win this fight. Lord, please use us. Give us our moment. What is our such a time as this? Lord, inspire us to proclaim your name. And please bless us in the remainder of the service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.